First John chapter five. Have you gone there yet? Let's go to first John chapter five. I told you a few weeks ago that that Lord willing, I would be back and we would finish our study in first John. And um, the way I have it pictured, we will finish first John next week. I will say, Lord willing, Lord willing, right? And we learn to say that from God's word, Lord willing, this is our plan, but this is Lord willing. If this is the Lord's will, we will do this. And so today we come and we approach the end of chapter five and Lord willing, we will complete our study in first John chapter five next Sunday. We approach today the conclusion of first John and John, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has been giving us the central truths of the Christian faith that God wants us to be shaped by. It's clear throughout 1 John that there is a lot believers can know. If you were to sit down this afternoon and to read through, and this would not be time wasted, this would be time invested. If you were to sit down and read through 1 John this afternoon, you would find again and again there are some things that God wants you to know. And John is helping us see them. It's clear here in these concluding statements of 1 John 5 that God wants believers to not merely have head knowledge. He doesn't want us to just go through the scriptures and to read and say, okay, I see that, that's good, that's helpful, that's good information, it's good to know that. He wants us to be certain of some things that he shows us that we can know, that we can be certain of. He wants us to have what we call Heart knowledge, you know the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge, the head knowledge, you've got an understanding of something, you've got a grasp of it, but you really don't care about it that much. I feel that way about a lot of things. Some, sometimes I'm faced with some things, well, I don't need to know that. Um, certain things in the kitchen that I have never learned. Um, I, I, I help with dishes a once in a blue moon, I have to be honest. Once in a blue moon, I, I, I put my hand on some dishes and walk, but I don't know where they go. I don't have to put them away. I don't know where they go. It's like, where do these go? And then we moved recently, and now I really don't know where they go. And there's a dishwasher in that house, so there we go, right? I, I, I tend to not even put them in the dishwasher, do I? I need to, I need to, re, uh, to, to, to rehabilitate my, my, uh, my poor habits in the kitchen. There are some things that you don't know. There are some things that you don't care to know. You have a little bit of knowledge about them, but... You don't care to know them, but there are some things that God wants you to know and to be certain of, to have a heart knowledge that you believe in these things, that they, that they encourage you, that they embolden you, that they equip you to live this life filled with uncertainties. There are some things that he wants you to be certain of. God wants you to know and be certain to have heart knowledge, things you take personally. Let's look at the text. I want you to see. What God wants you to know and be certain of. Let's look at the text and then I want you to see what God wants you to, to, to take to heart, to live by. I'm going to read verses 13 through 17 in 1 John chapter 5. Follow along in your, your copy of God's Word as I read from the English Standard Version. 1 John 5 verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests 
that we have asked of him. And verse 16 says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. What does God want you to know? What does he want you to be certain of? What does he want you to take to heart? First of all, I want you to see here this morning in the text that I just read that God wants you to be certain of eternal life. In verse 13, John gives the reminder, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. That you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know that you have eternal life if your faith is in Jesus Christ. So John has set out in this letter to make that clear. At the very beginning of this letter, in chapter 1, verse 2, he tells us of the life that was made manifest, that was made known, that was shown us, Jesus Christ. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ here, and he calls him the the eternal life. Jesus Christ is the eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 2, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He's speaking of Jesus Christ, the eternal life. And through faith in Christ, you can be certain that you have eternal life. John also makes clear that God doesn't want believers to sin. Now, I mention that because some people think and some churches think that you sin, you lose your salvation. And yet, that's not what the Bible teaches. And that's what John wants to make clear that, yes, you sin, and yet God keeps you. He makes clear that God doesn't want believers to sin, but if you do, and you do, and I do, believers are still grappling with fighting sin. When you sin, you have an advocate. You have an advocate. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ Christ. The righteous. Why does John tell you that you have an advocate in Jesus? So that you can know that you have eternal life because you have repented of sin and believed, put your faith in Jesus Christ, your advocate. This is the confidence that is yours if your faith is in Jesus. The confidence John writes of in 1 John 2.12, where the Bible says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. You can be confident with your faith fixed on Christ that your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life. You have forgiveness of sins. That does not give you a license to go on sinning. But know this, 
The Holy Spirit takes up residence in the life of a believer and God gives you His Word and He gives you the power of Christ in you to grow in this life, in this, in this difficult life at times, in the midst of many uncertainties where you're facing temptation to sin so that you can learn by the power of Christ in you and with the Word of God dwelling in you richly to say no to sin. And you do not lose your salvation when you sin. You are kept in Christ. You have an advocate before the Father. You are kept in Christ. So God wants you to know that eternal life is yours through faith in Jesus and in Him alone. That should give you confidence and courage to live in this life with so many uncertainties. Uncertainties that we could, if we began talking about all the certain uncertainties in our lives represented in this room, we would be here all day. And yet, we see in the text a handful of things that God wants to encourage us with, He wants you to have confidence about so that you will live with courage and boldness in the midst of things that seem uncertain. Next, God wants you to know that you can pray with confidence. John tells us so in verses 14 through 17. Look at the Bible again as I read verses 14 and 15. Verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. A mark that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Evidence to you in your life that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. That you have trusted in Jesus Christ. That you have repented of sins and believed in Him alone for your salvation. A mark that you are a follower of Jesus is that you pray to God. That you talk to God in prayer. That you humble yourself before Him and pray. God wants you to know that another mark that you are a believer in Jesus, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, is that you pray with confidence. You pray with confidence. Why? Well, you pray with confidence, and you can pray with confidence, because God hears, and God answers your prayers. You pray because God hears and answers your prayers. God wants you to know that He hears and answers your prayers so that you will be confident in Christ. Not in yourself, but confident in Christ to pray, asking for God's will to be done in all kinds of circumstances. Remember those unknowns? All kinds of unknowns? God says, bring them to me. Surrender them to me. Yield before me. Yield before my word. Pray to me. Ask for my wisdom. Ask for my direction. Ask for my provision. Ask for my will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, God doesn't want you to be timid in prayer. You have no reason for timidity in prayer. You have every reason for confidence in prayer. Why? Because God hears. And God cares. And He answers. We have God's word on it. 
God doesn't want you to be timid in prayer. God wants you to have confidence as you speak to Him. God hears and answers His children when they pray. God wants you to know and be confident of this. I was reminded recently of how we human parents don't often hear our children when they ask us for things. I have grandchildren now. And we recently got to spend some time with our our children, our son and daughter-in-law, and they're they're two beautiful little girls. And and then I heard little Adelaide go, "Mommy, mommy, 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 mommy." And and Angelie was busy, as moms are, right, moms? Busy doing good things, important things. Mommy, mommy. I remember days like that. It was usually me noticing that somebody was saying to their mommy. And I'm like, answer him. Answer her. And then and then it would be my turn to be busy and have ears that don't hear. My children crying out to me. Daddy, 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 daddy. I miss those days. Those are, those are days that you, you parents with little children ought not wish would go away too quickly. You'll wish that they were around. I know. And you're like, yeah, right. Please. You can borrow my kids, Pastor. You can borrow my kids. God's not like that. God is not like that. We parents can be hard of hearing. God is not hard of hearing. Praise God. He is not hard of hearing. You don't have to say, God, God, God. God, are you there? Are you going to answer? You have God's word on it that he hears and that he answers when you pray. This is not the first time John has addressed the matter of prayer in the life of a believer. Back in chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, in verse 22, the Bible says, And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. There's an important statement there, isn't there? You can't have the first half of the verse without the last half of the verse. We learn from John there in 1 John 3.22 that God expects something from His praying children. He expects His praying children to obey Him and do what pleases Him. Otherwise, you cannot be confident that God will answer when you pray. There's a challenge there, isn't there? God wants us to be confident and bold in prayer, but there's a, there's a challenge to us here. There's a reminder. There's a provision here that God says, wait, pray, ask, and you will receive. But understand that whatever... We ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. See, God desires that we want what He desires. God desires that we pursue what He desires. And what He desires is what is best for us. What He shows us in His Word is what is best for us. What God wants of us is that we would long for what He longs for. That we would hunger for what He longs for in our lives. That we would pursue what He has shown us in His Word that we must pursue if we're to please Him and do the things which please Him. 
And God says, I'm overjoyed to answer my children when they keep my commandments and do what pleases me. And know this, what pleases God is for your best, is for your good. Don't ever forget that. We learned from 1 John 3.22 when we studied then that God hears and answers when we ask, but He wants us to pray with our prayers backed by our obedience, by our pursuit of what He longs for in our lives, that we might do what pleases Him. Otherwise, we, we cannot be confident. There is, there is a place for a lack of confidence. There's a reason for this. God doesn't want us going on about our own business, doing our own thing. When He has made plain to us, when He has made clear to us in His Word what He, what He desires of us, what He requires of us. We can't say, oh, oh, and by the way, God, I'm, I'm doing my own thing in this area, but please bless this other area of my life. For our own good, God will not answer those kinds of prayers. He does not want us to be satisfied and content in our disobedience. Here in chapter 5, we also learn that God wants you to pray according to His will. So things that we learn here from 1 John are that God expects our obedience. He expects us to pursue His pleasure, that He would be pleased with our obedience. And He expects us to pray according to His will. This means you must... Read your Bible. Read your Bible. You need to know what God's will is. How will you know what God's will is if you don't know His Word? We will not. And we will not pray according to His will if we do not know His Word. To pray without being guided in your praying by the Word of God is to pray without the wisdom of God and is to pray outside the the will of God. We ought not want to be found there in our praying. We ought not want to live there in our praying. We have to want to pray informed by the Word of God. And, and there's really no excuse for not being informed by the Word of God. We all have copies of the Bible, and most of us multiple copies of the Bible in different translations, easy to understand. It's taking seriously our need for the Word. Many of us approach the Bible with this burden of responsibility. I must read the Bible. I'm responsible because I'm a church attender and, and the preacher says, read my Bible. And yet, what God wants us to hunger for is for His wisdom. He wants us to hunger for His wisdom, to thirst after His wisdom and search for it as for hidden and buried treasure. And yet, Often we put so many other things ahead of the wisdom of God. And so when we come to chapter 5, and we see here the challenge that, that, that we got to pray according to God's will, it's a challenge to know God's will. To know what He desires. Now you may not know his full and complete will in every situation in your life. But He has made plain in His Word what He desires of us. And we can know what His desire is for His people. And we can pray according to those desires made plain to us. John says here that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. 
That should motivate you to want to know God's will, to, to want to know God's word. And so God wants you to know that you can pray with confidence, knowing that he will hear and answer your prayers. But that qualifier remains that he wants your praying to be informed by his will and backed by your obedience. How important it is for us that we take seriously the knowledge of God revealed to us in his word that we might know his will for the sake of our prayers, for one thing. For the sake of our living for another. We learn here in 1 John that, that you're to obey and do what pleases God. How can we do what pleases God if we don't know what pleases God? God doesn't want you making it up. Far too many have been guilty of making up what would please God and finding themselves becoming legalistic or departing from the word altogether. You're to obey and do what pleases God and you are to pray according to His will. And if this is true of your life, then your prayers will likely not be characterized as self-centered. They will be God-centered. They will, they will be Jesus-centered. They will be God-honoring prayers. God, God-shaped prayers. Shaped by His will. Shaped by His wisdom, His word. If you pray according to God's will, God wants you to know that your prayers will be answered. So your praying should always be informed and shaped by the Bible and always offered with the attitude of, of submission to God's will. Now when you think about an attitude of submission to God's will, sometimes we think, well, what's, what submissiveness to God look like in my life? What's, what's praying with a submissive attitude? What does an attitude of submissiveness to God's will look like? And I would say that the attitude of your heart in prayer is certainly important because God knows the attitude of your heart. You can't be like the little kid whose mom says, sit down in the car, buckle up. And he finally sits down and buckles up and says, I'm sitting down and I'm buckled up on the outside, but on the inside, I'm still standing up. God knows if you're still standing up on the inside. God knows if you haven't really submitted to his will on the inside. He can hear your prayers, but he knows your heart. Your prayers may be saying one thing and your heart another. And so the attitude of your heart is absolutely important. I, I would say yes to that. But he also knows the attitude of your heart by your obedience. By whether or not you're pursuing what pleases him. He wants to see it in your life. The submissiveness of your heart in prayer is seen in whether you seek to live in obedience to God as you seek to do what pleases Him. God wants to see your right attitude in your doing of what pleases Him, your pursuit of what pleases Him. You do not earn His salvation. You do not earn His approval. But because you are His, because He has saved you, your heart should want to please Him and pursue what pleases Him. And God knows if that's true about you, whether you really long for His will to be done. 
Now, what comes next in the text is an illustration of this truth that God hears and answers the prayer of a believer who is obeying and praying within his will. Verses 16 and 17. I want you to look at those verses again. Look at the Bible in verses 16 and 17 where it says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, these two verses have been a challenge for some. And I think the challenge comes when we isolate these verses from the context. It's important that we let them remain in context as God intended for them to remain. It, It might seem like a strange way to illustrate. I said, this is an illustration of how God answers the prayer of a believer. You might think that this is a strange way to illustrate that. but But that's the main point here. And I want you to be careful you don't think of these two verses... As the main point. These two verses are really not the main point of this passage. The purpose of these verses is to illustrate this powerful truth that God hears and God answers the prayer of an obedient believer that is praying according to God's will. And let's not get sidetracked trying to figure out what the sin is that leads to death. I'm going to talk about that, but that's really not the main thing. The main point of these two verses is the command to pray for fellow believers who are caught up in sin. That's the idea here. And John uses this as an illustration of two kinds of prayer. There's a prayer that is prayed within the will of God and a prayer that is prayed that is not in the will of God. Now, the prayer that is in the will of God is pointed to in verse 16. Look at it again. Verse 16 says, if anyone sees his brother... Believer, brother, sister in Christ, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. What kind of life are we talking about? I believe this is talking about the kind of life that God gives when he moves in and takes up residence in the life of a believer. Separated from the Lord Jesus Christ and his power in our lives, we have no power to say no to sin. But when we trust in Jesus, he moves in, takes up residence, gives us his word, and by the power of his spirit, helps us learn to stop sinning, to say no to temptation. This is life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is gracious to give answers to prayer that are prayed on behalf of believers who are caught up in sin. God will complete the work that he has started in his children. Have you ever encountered another believer who's sinning? The point here is for believers to pray for one another. To pray for one another. And to do so with confidence that God hears and God answers and finishes the work that he started in that believer's life. As we've already heard, God does not want believers to sin. But if you do, in Christ, you have an advocate. You have a helper. Jesus not only intercedes for you before the Father on account of His sinless perfection, but He promises to help believers who who sin to stop, to learn to say no to sin. Helping them learn to repent and turn from sin and turn to obedience and to continued faith in Christ. 
So praying for God's help and wisdom in that believer's life is praying according to God's will. It is God's desire that that believer stop and and repent and turn from the practice of sin. But John also says that there is a prayer that is not within God's will to answer. Also in verse 16, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. And the sin that leads to death is the kind of sin for which God has made a determination as to the outcome. And in that case, it is useless to pray. And so the big question everyone naturally has when they come to this passage is, what is the sin that leads to death? I'll give you two possibilities. Some think this is a specific kind of sin that could be deadly, such as a kind of sin that is in the face of God and over the top. Some might think of the sin of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira committed a sin that led to their deaths. They lied to God before the leaders of the church, and for that they were struck down on the spot. But I would suggest that the sin that leads to death may not always be sudden death. I think more likely is the possibility that the sin that leads to death refers to the sin of an unbeliever. The sin of an unbeliever that leads to, not to sudden death, but to eternal, spiritual death. What kind of sin leads to eternal, spiritual death? The worst sin of all. A willful rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And John doesn't say that we shouldn't pray for people who need Christ. He's not saying here that we shouldn't pray for people who we look at and say, they need Christ. I'm praying for their salvation. I'm praying that they'll repent of their sin and believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. I'm praying that God will save them. John's not saying don't pray for people you see who, who you think need Christ. Believers are to love one another. We've seen this in 1 John. Believers are to pray for one another. And that's what John is pointing to here. Whatever the case about the sin that leads to death, what is clear here, what is very clear here is the main point of these two verses. It's the command to pray for believers. The command to pray for believers who are caught up in sin. This is exactly what John has pointed to several times in this book. And we have this reminder before us. What John has been pointing to, what God has been teaching us in in this letter of 1 John, is that we are to love one another. So much so that we look out for one another in prayer. That we intercede on behalf of those who, who we see sinning. When we see someone sinning, our role is not one of self-righteous finger-pointing, but one of prayer for that person. That should be our first response. John drives the point home for us by saying in verse 17, I read it a moment ago, I'll read it again. Verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Through Jesus Christ, God forgives and helps you when you repent. 
we ought never forget that we aren't beyond sinning ourselves. We, we are still here on earth, aren't we? We are still facing daily temptation of sin. And we are not above and beyond sinning ourselves. It may be that one of our brothers and sisters in Christ may come along one day and find that we're sinning and pray for us. We ought never forget that we're not beyond sinning ourselves. There is sin that does not lead to death. And that is the sin that is confessed. That is the sin that is repented of. God's children are not perfect, but John, 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9 reminds you that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You confess You repent of your sin and God is faithful to forgive. He has forgiven you in Christ. You pray with confidence and you pray for each other knowing that the prayer prayed within God's will is answered by God. God wants you to know that you have eternal life if your faith is in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants you to know that you can pray with confidence and not with timidity, but with boldness and courage, knowing that God hears and answers your prayer when you pursue obedience to Him and you pursue the prayer that is prayed according to His will, informed by His Word. Just two things God wants you to know. I trust you take those to heart, that you live by them, that you take courage in them, that you take great joy and hope in them in the midst of uncertainties in your life. That there are things that God wants you to be certain of. He wants you to take these personally. That that you, through faith in Jesus, have eternal life. And that you can pray with confidence, knowing that He hears and answers your prayer. There's more here in the remainder of chapter 5 that God wants you to know. That He wants you to be certain of. Lord willing, we'll see those next time. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, O God, help us to be people who live with great boldness and courage and confidence because we are looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that through faith in Him, through His finished work, He has gained our salvation. He has given us eternal life. Life is in the Son. We praise You for that. We praise You, too, that we can pray. What a privilege is ours. And there is so much that we need to pray for in your church, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our lives, in our neighborhoods. Lord, help us to surrender before you knowing that you hear and answer our prayers when we pursue lives that honor and obey you and and lives that please you. God, may our prayers not be hindered because we we refuse to obey. Lord, help us to be people, help us to be children of God that surrender to you 
that yield before you, not just in the attitude of our hearts in the moment of prayer, but with the attitude of our lives in each day that we live. Surrendered to you, to be obedient to you, to follow your word, to read our Bibles and to know your will. Father, we praise you for your your help, your comfort through the work of the Holy Spirit. We praise you for the Holy Spirit that indwells your people. Help us to never forget that we don't obey you in our own strength. We obey with the help of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, help us to equip ourselves with the word. May our prayers be shaped by the word. May our obedience be shaped by the word and by the help of the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray for those in our midst who may not know Christ who this morning may be realizing they need they need to know for certain that they are a child of God. They want to know that they can be confident before God to pray. They want to know that they can have eternal life. Oh God, I pray, draw unbelievers to Yourself, even in this moment. Soften their heart to hear the Word of Truth, to hear from the pages of our Bibles the Word of Truth that You have spoken to us. That they might see who Jesus is. To, to look to Him alone for salvation. To believe and receive eternal life. And to have the confidence of answered prayer. God, we pray that you would equip us as a church. Help us as your people as we prepare to leave this place in a few moments. And go back into a world that that can seem uncertain in so many ways. Help us to to go with boldness and confidence with these certainties. Encouraging us and strengthening us to, to live in obedience to you this week. For your glory. For the sake of our joy. For the sake of our testimony in Christ. That the world might know him. Through our testimony. Through the word proclaimed. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. As we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper this morning. The Lord's Supper is a reminder to us. This time of communion when we take the bread and the cup. As we observe the Lord's Supper. May this be a a constant reminder. That Jesus gave himself on the cross. That through faith in him we would know that we have forgiveness of sins. This is a reminder of the things that God wants us to be confident of. As we prepare to share together the Lord's Supper, I want to read to you a few brief passages of Scripture that speak clearly of what Jesus' sacrifice has accomplished for you if you have trusted in Him. This is what Jesus has done and finished. If you listen for this repeating theme, I think you'll be encouraged. Listen for this repeating theme of peace and reconciliation, which is ours through faith in Jesus Christ. First, first of all, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1. Verses 20 through 22. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 
He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. 2 Corinthians 5 and verses 18 to 21 All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 